Welcome to the teaching ministry of pastors Carl and Cheryl Thomas. Our favorite verse is Habakkuk 2.14, where the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Consumed by that revelation, we are committed to recognizing, resourcing, and releasing high-impact ministries resulting in global glory, transforming lives to impact their world. We have a teaching that will impact you today. Now, let's get right into that word. All right, we got to go through Hebrews real quick, and then we're going to get into the part where we try not to burn the church down, all right? All right, that would be a good thing, amen. So, you know, the book of Hebrews, many people say the book of Hebrews is probably one of the most difficult books of the Bible to interpret and to teach on. I don't really find that myself. I think it's a fabulous book. But we're going to try and unpack Hebrews quickly because we're going to do a candlelight service, all right? But because we're reading through the Bible this year, got to do Hebrews. And next week, we're doing the book of... Revelation, amen, it's going to be good for some people, amen, so let's jump in, let's jump in the notes here, Hebrews chapter 8 verse 6 says, but now, but now, as opposed to before, but now our high priest has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood, for he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God based on better promises. It's far superior. It's far better. It has better promises, better. The word more excellent, better. Creton, Creton. It is 17 times in the New Testament. It's 12 times just in the book of Hebrews because Hebrews, the whole message of Hebrews is Jesus is the more excellent way. And he's writing to who? It's right in the title. He's writing to the Hebrews. So right there, you have to understand that to interpret a book properly, you have to understand who he's writing to. So this book is written to who? Hebrews, people who are brought up on the Torah, brought up on the Old Covenant, brought up on the law, taught that this is really important. Don't turn from it any which way. This group of people are who he's writing to, and he's trying to tell these people who, who highly defended their place and their, their faith and, and Moses and the, the commandments and, and all that they did, they defended with everything in them. Suddenly there's someone coming and saying, I got something better. And he's saying it to a Hebrew group of people who have a way to relate to God. They have a system to worship God. They have a, a structure of how we interact with God. And now someone is coming and speaking to that people. You've got to drop that system. In fact, in chapter 9, verse 8, it says, if, you, if the institution of the tabernacle remains in place, the way to the glory of God will never be revealed to you. So he's trying to tell them you have to blow up your whole worship structure, the way you've believed, everything that you've been taught on how to approach God to this point has to go. Can you imagine going through that? Can you imagine something you've been taught on, I mean, instructed on, I mean, incredibly enforced into your world and into your life? Suddenly, someone comes along and says, man, that's over. The one you've been looking for and that whole system you've been, you know, performing and involved in, it all pointed to Jesus. This man from Nazareth, he is Jesus. He is the Nazarite. He is the promise. Now you have to drop your whole system. How many think that would be a little hard to hear? That's why this book was written, to systematically go through all the things that you had and to show them that there's a new way. It's Jesus, and the new way is better. Say better. 
So who is he writing to the Hebrews? These are clearly people who've experienced a close exposure to the good news about Jesus, and they need to be cautioned on what they do with that revelation. The writer is concerned with belief and not behavior. He's concerned with what you believe. Often he says what you believe. You need to believe this. You need to believe this. So that's what's important about the book of Hebrews. Amen. So Jesus is better. He's the more excellent way. So the author contrasts believing and Judaism, and he says, I want you to embrace Jesus. He is the fulfillment of it all. He's better than the prophets. Right away, right at the start, he said, Jesus, there was a revelation. The prophets gave a revelation. Even Moses considered a prophet. They wrote down their revelation. Everything they wrote down, all that they said, Jesus, that is a revelation of God. But Jesus is a better revelation of God. Jesus is God. God's final and absolute clear revelation. Jesus is better than the prophets, better than the Torah, better than everything that you've had written at this point. Jesus is better. He's better than the angels. In Deuteronomy 33, 2, it talks about a myriad of saints, of spiritual beings that came. And in their, their uh, system of belief, they believed that the law came with angels. It was, it was manifest and revealed with an angelic visitation. They brought it. Well, then he goes through a whole thing saying, Jesus is better than the angels. He's telling that. Then he goes through Moses. He says, Moses, you're children of Moses, and it's amazing, and it's incredible. But Jesus is even better than Moses. So he's systematically dealing with all the strong pillars of their faith. Thank you very much, Kevin. He's better than Moses. He's better than Joshua. I mean, Joshua was considered that one who brought them into the promise. And he's systematically going through things. Go ahead. He's better than the high priest because the high priest, once a year, he went and he made atonement for sin. He says, Jesus is the once and for all final high priest. He's done it once. We need no more high priest. And a high priest was the high priest as long as he lived. His priesthood lived was as long as he lived. Well, Jesus is a better high priest because he's our new high priest. He obliterates sin and removes all the guilt and shame. And Jesus is our high priest. Guess what? He's going to live forever. So, I mean, he's better than Aaron's priesthood. He's better than Abraham. Oh, my goodness. We are children of Abraham. He's better than Abraham. He's better than the Old Covenant. He's better than the tabernacle. He's better than Old Testament sacrifices. He's better than that gathering at Mount Sinai because we are now the church. We are a gathering of the holy people and we have come before the very presence of God. Better. So in every way, the Hebrew writer is talking to a Hebrew group of people and he's saying, this is an amazing revelation that I'm sharing with you. And for you to fully receive it and walk in it, you have to realize that he's better. And you have to give up all that stuff because you can't have Jesus and. You can't have Jesus and some of your, you know, other faith. You got to drop it all and it's Jesus alone. You got to realize that's a group of people who would have been going, that's pretty tough to hear. And they did. It was tough to hear. In fact, many of them, they went after Paul. It was, it was the Judaizers who wanted to keep the law in place are the ones who went to Paul. When they found him, they'd drag him out of meetings. They'd stone him. They stoned him and left him for dead. They beat him. They whipped him. They went everywhere where Paul preached. They tried to tell people, rubbish, rubbish. It's not Jesus. It's not Jesus. Rubbish, rubbish. Hang on to the law. Hang on to the old covenant. But they hated Paul because Paul was saying, Paul, who was, he said, I, if anybody was a real good Jew, it was me. He said, but I'm telling you, I count it all rubbish that I might gain Christ Jesus. 
So that's what's going on in Hebrews. It's pretty strong, but you have to understand who it's to and why it's being written. Because if you think it was a book written to believers, you could take a lot of stuff out of context and really mess up your experience. It's really true. It's really true. All right, so uh, Hebrews 2, 1 to 3. For this reason, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard. Say what we have heard. Lest we drift away from it. For the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received just recompense. How shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? Who's he talking to? Hebrews. Who, they know that because they're the ones who, who, in this context, they understand what he's talking about. The word spoken through angels, and that's what they believe. They believe the angels help bring the law and bring that. So he's saying, listen, you know that the word spoken through those angels, it proved unalterable. How much more now, this word that we're giving to you, is it not also unalterable? You cannot change it. The word that I'm sharing with you, that it's Jesus alone who brings salvation, that word is unchangeable. You can't mix your law with it. You can't say, okay, well, we'll take a little bit of Jesus, but we want to keep our law. No, it has to be all him. You can't blend it. And that's what he's telling these folks. He can't, you cannot neglect such a great salvation. So he's not talking to believers who might start to neglect what they've already received. He's talking to a group of, group of people, Hebrew people, that are pondering if they really want to give up all of their Judaism and say, Jesus is Lord of all. That's the audience and that's the message. But sadly, sometimes religion will take people to this place, say, you better be careful. You better hang on because you could lose it. God could abandon you. And that's why in the end, he says, God will never, ever leave you or forsake you. Never. And if you think he could forsake you, then you're conflicted in your understanding of the book. Hello. You got to know that. It's absolutely important to understand. Hebrews 10, 38 and 39, the just shall live by obeying all the law. The just shall live by faith. It says it in Habakkuk. It says it in Romans chapter 1. Everywhere. How do you be righteous? How is just, faithful, unalterable, the righteousness, the goodness, the holiness of God? How does it manifest in your life? The just shall live by faith. Now, if you draw back from that, if you say, well, it's faith and, if you pull away from that, it says, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back. See, he's saying, I believe this about you. Even though, you know, this message is hard and I want you to blow everything up, don't, don't draw back from faith alone. Don't draw back from that because it's no good. But in saying all of that, I am confident that, that you know, you're going to make it. He says, but of them that believe, they are those who believe unto the saving of the soul. So salvation comes through faith alone. He says, I don't want you to fall back into that. Because you know what? Jesus is the only thing. And here's the only thing that will wreck your world. Not accepting Jesus. That's the only warning that there is. Accept Jesus because there's no other way. If you don't accept Jesus, there's no other options out there. Please, please drop every other thing and pursue Jesus alone as your hope of salvation. That's what he's trying to say. Give me another slide just for fun there. All right, let's go to 1 Corinthians just to bring some contrast in interpreting a word in case some of you have a brain cramp right now. Look what this says. Hebrews, or 1 Corinthians 1, 8 and 9. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be free from all blame on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ when he returns. Who will keep you? Who will keep you? Who will keep you to the end? No, your good behavior will. You got to behave right to the end so that at the end he won't reject you. It's not what it says. It says he will keep you. So who's going to do it? God will 
do this. The one who began the good work in you is going to complete it, and he's going to bring it to a flourishing conclusion. He's not going to fail to do what he said he would do to you. You are my child forever. Nothing can take you out of my hand. All right, and that's true, for he is faithful to do what he says, and he has invited you into partnership with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. One more out of Corinthians, just for fun. Second Corinthians, it is God who enables us, along with you, to stand firm for Christ. He has commissioned us. He has identified us as his own by placing the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees. Say Guarantees guarantees. Well, how do I know all of this is true? I'm going to give you an absolute guarantee. Guarantee. Say guarantee. Yeah, I'm going to guarantee to you that everything I said I will do, I will do. And I'm going to guarantee to you that I'll never relax my grip on you. How's he going to do that? He gave us the Holy Spirit. You know how you got to church today? Well, I drove in a Ford truck. You know how you got to church today? It was the Holy Spirit. You know how you came to know Jesus? It was the Holy Spirit. In you is no good thing. Apart from him, you can do nothing. But when God enters into your life, even the search and the quest for him, it comes from him. It's all him. And he guarantees everything he has promised. Let me look at this word guarantee. You ready? The word guarantee means it's a down payment or a pledge, a part of the purchase money or property given in advance as a security for all the rest. So it's a security that everything else is going to show up. I'm going to fulfill all parts of the deal. So either God has nothing but more good stuff. What does God have for me going forward? Nothing but more good stuff. If the first promise was absolutely true, guess what? He who gave his own son for us, how much more along with him will he not give us all things? Did he give you his son? Did he put his spirit in you to give you that, that witness in your own spirit that I am a child of God? If all of that happened, guess what? You should expect now nothing but more good stuff. Because that's what that verse said. It says it guarantees that everything, the Father is the giver of every good gift, the Father of lights, every good thing proceeds from him. And he guarantees that. So it's either God has nothing but more good stuff planned or guaranteed for your life, or he's a liar. Because he just promised in that verse, I guarantee that I will fulfill every promise in your life. And how does all of that come and manifest itself in your life? By faith. And that's what the Hebrew writer's trying to say. He's trying to say, you know, that system was amazing, but that system was all there to narrow you to get to the point where you desperately cried for mercy, God help me. Well, the mercy cry has been fulfilled because I have sent my son. Good news, great peace, great joy to all mankind. I have sent my son. He is the savior, redeemer, and deliverer of all mankind. Praise the Lord. Merry Christmas. Tell your neighbor Merry Christmas. So the fire to do the Christian life comes from being soaked in the fuel of what he has done. The fire of the Christian life comes from the fuel of soaking in what he has already done. When you soak in the finished realities of the gospel, when you soak in the finished realities of the promise of God, that is the fuel that makes you walk in the goodness of God. Assurance of where you stand with God is the fuel. That's the fuel. Everything else, it fuels everything else in the Christian life. I am a child of God. 
I never doubt it. I never fear it. I never question it because he did it. He's the one who made me a child of God. He is faithful to complete what he began. He will keep me, establish me, make me stand firm. He will do it because he is faithful. And that blows me up every day. And I want to live a life that constantly says, thank you, Jesus. All right, that's good. Move on, Pastor. Hebrews chapter 4. Verse 2, for indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as them. He's talking about the old covenant now. And they were familiar with it. He's talking to people who totally understood the old covenant. They had good news, crossed over in the promised land, but they doubted. And they didn't enter in. And what kept them from entering in? Unbelief in the message. And so the writer is saying, look, they, we have the gospel just like they did. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith. Faith. They didn't have faith in what was heard. Say heard. All right, so then Hebrews 10, 39. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but we are of those who believe to the saving of the soul. So all the time he's saying, he's saying, you know, embrace Christ. But then he's also encouraging them. And I do believe better stuff of you. And I'm not condemning you, but I'm telling you, I believe that you're going you're gonna to abandon everything that got you to where you are because Jesus is better better. How does this apply to us, pastor? Because many of us didn't grow up as Hebrews or Jews, never really practiced Judaism. How does it apply to us? Well, a lot of us got brought up on religion. A lot of us got brought up on the the unhealthy uh, drug of performance religion. And that God is only pleased with you as you're pleasing to him. And if you live good and you obey God, except for that one verse that says, obey your pastors, it'll go good for you. Do that one. Okay. (laughs) You're only as good to God as your behavior. You're only as pleasing to God as your behavior. That's the lie of religion. But a lot of people are drunk on that as well. That's because they don't understand the old covenant and they don't understand the book of Hebrews. And when you understand that, you'll see that what he's trying to do is he's trying to say performance comes from relationship. Performance comes from relationship. Performance, any performance that even registers in heaven comes because the Holy Spirit worked it in your life. It's not you. The minute you think my relationship with God starts here with me, I'm trying, God. I'm trying. See, my relationship with God doesn't start here. It starts there. And he has sealed it once and for all that I am his child. And he'll never change his mind about it. When you get that figured out and you get that right in your life, that gives you the assurance to live the life. Can I get an amen from over here? 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 Can I get the wave over here? Oh, that side finished pretty strong. Let's try that again. Ready? Uh, Give yourself a hand. That was good. Amen. You'll never believe it. I went to that crazy church today. We did the wave. We did the wave. Jesus. Jesus, hallelujah. Come on, go ahead, just say, I love Jesus. That was strange, wasn't it? Because you know where he is? He's right here. I love you, Jesus. Okay. <laughs> All right, pastor, come on. All right, listen, let's get, let's get some serious stuff. You ready? Here's, here's a very troubling verse in Hebrews chapter six. Really troubling. This wrecks a lot of people's worlds. You ready? 
For it is impossible for those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift to become partakers of the Holy Spirit, who have tasted of the good word and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again to themselves, for themselves, the Son of God, and they put him to open shame. See there, pastor, in your face. See? Well, let's see. Say it's impossible. It's impossible to find any other way to come to a relationship with the Heavenly Father except Jesus. And if you decide that I want to try to find another way, and I'm going to do it myself, I've tasted your message. I've seen the signs and the wonders. He says it in, in one. He says, he says the, the word of, from Moses had signs and wonders. The word from Jesus had signs and wonders. Don't turn away from it. But here's people going, I've tasted it. I've experienced it. I've been in a few of your meetings. I've heard some prophecies, saw a few people healed. I tasted your worship. I experienced a little bit of it. You know, but I still got my own way of living. Listen, if you think after seeing the great manifestation of the goodness of God that you can still find another way to be related to God, it's impossible. It's absolutely impossible. Because what are we dealing with? We're dealing with faith. We're not dealing with behavior. We're dealing with what do you believe? It's impossible to come to God. Jesus is the new and living way. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. If you think that you can have some hybrid plan of Judaism and toss in some Jesus, it won't work. It's impossible. Now, let me give you a couple of versions of what that is. Number one, it's impossible to fall away. It would be like having to crucify him all over again. It would be like having to crucify Jesus all over. And it's impossible for you to fall away. You can't fall away and then crucify Christ again. He died once for all. He died once for the sin of all mankind. So you think if you got in the first time and you're able to fall out, you're saying that the first crucifixion wasn't good enough. You're saying that his first trip to the cross couldn't keep me, couldn't save me, couldn't hold me. And you're saying that there's got to be another crucifixion to bring me back in again. Listen, it's impossible to fall away. That's what he's saying. But we got English translations of some Greek stuff, and it gets messed up because it comes through the filter of the belief system of the interpreter. Second one, R.J. Anderson, he said, there's nothing further which can be done to persuade them to accept Christ. I got nothing else. All I got is Jesus. And you know, it's a pretty powerful message. It had signs and wonders, the power of the Spirit upon it. This is a pretty incredible message. There is no other message. I got no other way to persuade you. They've already seen and experienced all the things designed to draw you to Jesus. And if you think there's another way, or you think you could fall away, if you think this doesn't have the power to save you, there is no other way. It's impossible. And if that didn't help you, I got a whole three-page teaching on that that I could send you and help you out that I didn't add to the sermon today because everybody wants to get to the fire. Give me another slide. <laughs> Hebrews 6, 9, but beloved, we are confident, right in the same passage, what's he saying? What are we? What is the writer? We are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation. You're going to choose to believe Jesus alone. And you know what's going to come with that? You're going to get salvation and you're going to get everything that accompanies it. Though, though I've spoken this manner that I'm not sure where you stand right now, I'm confident you're going to make the right decision. So this isn't people who already made a decision and are wondering. This is people who aren't sure that they're all in for Jesus. And he's trying to convince them embrace it embrace it i'm telling you, if you embrace it everything accompanies salvation i know you well i'm confident the spirit of god's working on you. you're going to hear the message i'm confident of that in you today too because the same good news is for you today i'm confident i'm absolutely confident all right a couple more verses and i'm finishing up ready say thank you pastor
my favorite part, probably, I love Hebrews, love a lot of it, but, but one of my favorite parts is this. In, in chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, he says, Long ago God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the apostles. So it's a Hebrew, speaking to the Hebrews, I know our ancestors had a revelation from God. And God spoke to us through many vehicles, many prophets. Moses spoke to us. We had the prophets. We had Jeremiah, Isaiah. And all those people prophesied about the coming king. They prophesied about a time when we were going to get a new heart and a new life. Not by our behavior, because of, but because of his behavior. By faith, we would get granted acceptance with God completely and fully. And he says, they spoke to us and, and they did their best. They did their absolute best. He says, but now, say now. now. Now, in these final days, God has spoken to us through his son. So he's saying, here is a revelation of God. Here is the revelation of God. This, the revelation of God. This actually is a revelation. Jesus said all of this, the old covenant, it's single revelation is the point to Jesus. So all that this pointed to is Jesus. And then what the Hebrew is saying, he's saying, Jesus is here. So he's saying, what is the revelation that we need to pay attention to? He says, now God has spoken to us through his son. Who is his son? The son radiates the glory of God. The son expresses the very character of God. So if your theology doesn't look like Jesus, you got to throw it out. If whatever you're believing in doesn't look like Jesus, it's not the final word from God. Well, I do like Jesus, but I like a lot of that old covenant stuff too then you don't understand what the old covenant's job was. The old covenant job was to point you to Jesus. And then the Hebrew is saying, once Jesus came, trade it in for a better model. I don't want to trade it in. I like this stuff. And the Hebrew writer is saying, you can't have mixture. You can't have both. You can't have a hybrid. It's Jesus alone and faith in him. That's the Hebrew message. So I love that past. Love that. Love that. So what is the word of God? It's Jesus. The Christmas message, John 1, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is the word about the word of God. This is a revelation of the word of God. But all of this points to the word of God. We do not have the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Book. We have the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost reveals Jesus. His whole job is to point to and testify of Jesus. Sadly, there's a lot of other people that elevate the Bible over Jesus. Jesus, everywhere it says where you need the word, it's talking about the word, the word Christ, the word Jesus. Who do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? What does this help you do? It enhances your relationship with Jesus because it talks about Jesus. But he doesn't want you to go, oh, holy book, I love you today. Oh, holy book, would you? The Holy Book points you to Jesus, who you speak to and have a personal relationship with and say, thank you, Holy Spirit, that you testify of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, the Spirit of Christ, the mind of Christ is in my life. You lead me and guide me every day in a living, abiding, one-on-one, -on -one, moment by moment, step-by-step, -step, personal relationship with a living God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Amen couple more verses. I'm going to wrap it up. He sustains everything by his mighty power, the mighty power of his command. When he had cleansed us from our sins, when he had cleansed us from our sins, when he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. Tell me, did he sit down? Did he sit down? Where is he now? Seated in heavenly places. Where are you seated? You're seated with him in heavenly places. Where are you seated, completely delivered and set free from sin, past, present, and future? 
done once and for all. Now I to hang on to my responsibility to deliver myself. You got a different gospel. Jesus once for all sat down done. So what are you like now? It says in the Bible, it says, as he is, so am I in this world. How is he totally holy, totally righteous, totally powerful, totally free? That's who you are right now. Not trying to become that. You are that. If you believe that you're trying to become that, that is the false narrative in your head that's trapping you in your doubt and confusion. You need to agree with what Jesus says about you. As Deborah, as I am, so are you right now. Exactly the same. Not trying to become. I, didn't, I don't just get to see you as righteous now. I have made you righteous. Well, God sees me as righteous now through Jesus. No, he doesn't see you through Jesus. Because of what Jesus did, he can see you and he always could see you. But now he has made you the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's a huge difference. And it's a massive shift in your brain that you have to make. All right, one more verse, a couple more, three. Three verses, let me be honest with you. Here it is, you ready? Hebrews 2, 14, 15. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood. Here's Christmas, you ready? The son also became flesh and blood. For not only as a human, for only as a human could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Jesus had to become a man. God couldn't redeem us without becoming a man. That's why Christmas is so awesome. A man lost his authority. A man got it back. We have all authority, all power right now as he is. So am I in this world. Get it. He became flesh and blood to restore all that to us. He broke the power of the devil. He broke it off us. He broke the power of death. And only in this way could he set free all who live their lives as slaves to fear and dying. Hello, is anybody afraid? You should not be afraid of a single thing. He's not giving you a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. Because Jesus, because of Christmas, I am free. Because of Christmas, I am bold. Because of Christmas, because he became a man and he finished that work, that baby was born to die for me. And not only did he die for me, but I died with him. And the life that he lives now, I live by the power of his life. Ha <laughs> oh! <laughs> So good. He became flesh and blood to break the power of the devil. Another verse, verse uh, 17. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us. You need to understand what we celebrate at Christmas. Why did Jesus become a man? Because as a man, he had to deliver us. So tell me, did he become a man? Did he die? Was he raised from the dead? Are you totally free? Yes. Christmas declares liberty for every single captive. Christmas declares light in the darkness. If there's any darkness manifesting in your life at all, Christmas declares let there be light. And you know what? The light will not be stopped. It doesn't ask permission. It just advances into every place where there's darkness and it crushes it and eliminates it. So if there's any darkness in your life, in any sphere of your life at all, Christmas declares, let there be light. Let there be light. And it's not light like, because in the beginning he said, let there be light. That didn't mean moon, sun, and stars, because they got created later. It wasn't like light bulb. Boom, it's dark, there's light. No, light meant the life of God. Let there be the Zoe divine life of God that invades every place where there's chaos. So when you light that candle, 
When you light that candle, that is light, but let the light represent the life of God and get a revelation today that that life is in you and that life will obliterate everywhere darkness tries to creep. It will eliminate in your life every bit of darkness for the honor and the glory of God himself.